Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. I want you to turn with me right now to your left, back to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We will spend a moment there in our study this morning. I draw your attention to verse 11 and 12. Acts chapter 16, verse 11 and 12. We read, Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the presence that we know is here in the person of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that Heaven is opened up as we seek your face today, knowing that because of the blood of Jesus, we have access to the throne of God. And so, Lord, we simply, as we sang this morning, uh, are here, arms wide open, hearts wide open, that you might speak to us, the church, I know what the Spirit is saying. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> We're going to introduce this book. Um, next week we will start a more clinical, if you will, verse by verse uh, walk through it. But I'd like to spend some time introducing the book to us. Perhaps some of you have studied the book of Philippians before. Maybe to some of you it's new. But uh, how unsearchable uh, the riches of Christ. So there are new things in it for each one of us, whether we've been here before or this is new ground. Um, we do have a bit of an outline on the screens for those of you taking notes. Um, Hopefully that outline will be helpful. But I want to first talk about uh, this outreach. Again, drawing your attention in verse 12 of chapter 16 of Acts. It, when he says, from there uh, to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. Paul here was, the Apostle Paul was following a, a plan uh, in his own heart birthed by the person of the Holy Spirit, to plant churches in major cities because he understood that the gospel would go out uh, easier from major cities than to major cities. And it has been an interesting principle, if you will, in church planting that uh, one that has been followed uh, throughout thousands of years. And just speaking about the movement of Calvary chapels, uh, 
in the late 60s as the Jesus movement was in full swing. Uh, the late pastor Chuck Smith began pastoring a small little church in Santa Ana called Calvary Chapel that had about 25 people. Uh, hippies that had been burnt out trying to you know, know what free love is and realize that love in that venue is never free and came with great addictions and bondages that were searching for truth, began to seek uh, real truth and find it in a relationship in the person of Jesus Christ. The Jesus movement was born. Um, you can research Life magazine. It's, it's chronicled. It was a time of revival in our country. And for purposes that perhaps only God will share with us in heaven, you know, he chose this uh, humble guy named Chuck Smith to be somewhat the founder of a family of churches that would become to be known as Calvary Chapels. As hippies got saved, studied the Word of God, spent two or three, four years under Chuck, it would it would move in someone's heart to say, hey, I, I want to go out and plant a church in so-so, so-so. And if you look, you can, there are now, as of 2017, some 1,800 Calvary chapels throughout uh, the continental U.S. But back in that day, the encouragement was to go to a major city. Go to a major city and plant a work because out of that major city, other smaller cities would in fact be impacted as men would be raised up to go and preach the gospel. And you're looking at one of them right here. I mean, we spent two years down south and felt a call here to Valley Springs. And as I was driving up one day, I said, Lord, who am I going to preach to? The cows? You know, there's a lot of cows in the fields out here. And so, you know, God in his faithfulness, uh, gave several rhema words to me during that period of time and still speaks, but one of which was uh, from uh, the Gospels where he said, I have many in this city. And so we've, we've run on that for these 23 years that we've been here. And so it's just an amazing thing to see, you know, God put this plan in the Apostle Paul's heart a foremost city, and that from there others would be birthed. But you have to, you don't have to, I will invite you to beg the question, but why, why do we even have this account of the, of the book of Philippians? I draw your attention. Back up a few verses in six, chapter 16 of the book of Acts, verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia to the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, <clears throat> excuse me, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over 
to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we, you'll notice the change of uh, person there, Luke is writing, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them over in Macedonia. Do you see it? Do you see why we have the book of Philippians? Because an individual that had surrendered his life to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ was willing to change his plans, to alter his plans in order to accommodate what he knew and sensed that the Lord was calling him to. A Christian willing to alter their plans when the Spirit of God began to move in their life. I ask you this morning, are you a Christian? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The day you said yes to God, and said no to sin, the day you were revealed in your heart of hearts that that God Almighty has created you and called you into this family of, of believers called the body of Christ, you are no longer your own. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, the apostle said to the Galatians, echoing that truth for every Christian, he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Are you listening this morning as you walk through these doors? It's like, oh my goodness, we're going deep right away. Yes, are you listening to the voice of the Spirit of God in your own life? Are you willing, if God asks, to alter your direction and the course in which you thought you were going? It is at least one of the challenges, as well as one of the questions that emerges as we introduce the book. But let's start further now with the, um, the church in Philippi. Look at verse 13. It says, then on the Sabbath day when uh, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. We're going to read through verse 15. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. A bit of critical history to the book. 
of Philippians because in that moment, at that town, at that city, there there were not even 10 Jewish men in order to create what would then be called a synagogue. And so the Apostle Paul and Silas are there, again, going to a major city. There's no synagogue. Otherwise, he would have went into the synagogue, perhaps to reach uh, the Jews. And so they go down by the river, and they find a handful praying. One of them is this woman, Lydia, who is a seller of purple. Now, history tells us that uh, that was a valued, luxurious product. And one might say, you know, that voice of, in the vision of a man saying, come over here and help us, who knows? Perhaps it was, you know, the voice really of a woman. But Thyatira was the center of this purple dye and fabric made from it, uh, Eventually, later, we see the city of Thyatira and the church in Thyatira in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. But before she was converted, did you notice the phrase? It's right there in verse 14. It says that the Lord opened her heart to heed the things that were spoken of by Paul. And this becomes paramount when we're going to begin to study the book of Philippians, it becomes paramount to knowing how this young fledgling of a church, which we'll see in a little while when Paul writes to it, isn't that old, how they had begun to mature because God was opening the heart of people. And here's what I was struck by is that it must be the Lord that opens the heart as we're sharing faith in Christ. There is not a gimmick. There is not a program. There is not a set of rules of do's and don'ts that will accomplish the saving of a soul. It must be God who opens the heart. And in our attempt and step of faith, steps of faith, work of faith here this year, as we begin to, again, move forward after a a very confusing year last year based on what took place in our nation with COVID-19. I don't know if some of you may have read, um, we have stated in news as of June 15th, the governor is planning to reopen the state. So, We've already decided to move forward and we're going forward with, first of all, this outreach called Vacation Bible School. We want to press into families and children's lives here. But we know no matter how big, small, organized or unorganized our Vacation Bible School program is, it must be the Lord that opens the heart of a child. And it must be the Lord that opens the heart of a parent of a child that we have an opportunity to minister with. Same thing will take place. I'm you know, announcing we are going forward with our adult outreach to the community. In the last weekend of September, we're bringing uh, Tommy Walker and his worship team. We're going to do a full-on concert outreach on the parking lot here. 
And once we get past Vacation Bible School, we will begin to uh, you know, labor toward that. But prayer, laboring in prayer both for these children, for families, for people in this community. We do know that Paul and Silas's time there in Philippi uh, wasn't all about just Lydia because it wasn't long after that that a um, girl, you may recall in the rest of the chapter, there was this slave girl that followed them around. She was possessed of a demon and she kept saying, these men declared to us the way of the gospel. And finally, the text tells us that Paul, somewhat annoyed, knowing that her claim wasn't coming from the Spirit of God, but from the Spirit of, of the enemy, turned to her and commanded the Spirit to come out of her. Well, that girl had had masters that made profit from her, and those masters got angry, and they ended up talking to magistrates, and they dragged Paul and Silas into the you know, form of the street and eventually into jail, where in jail they're singing and the jailer, the Philippian jailer, ends up getting saved in his household and you have, so the start of the church. And understanding now what, how this church, how this fellowship in this major city began Another question that emerges, well, okay, when the Apostle Paul writes the book to them, how long after his time there, when this church is birthed through just a, a couple of households, to now Paul is writing, uh, his first missionary journey was about 46 to 48, his second journey about 49 to 52, and it would have been during this time that he uh, had come through Philippi. His third journey, about 53 AD uh, to 57. And then his fourth journey, which was a planned journey, uh, but ended up being foiled as he was uh, needed to appeal to Caesar when arrested in Jerusalem. He ends up in Rome. Uh, it wasn't really a journey under house arrest from about 58 to 60. But while he's there, he's writing from Rome, Philippians is one of his prison epistles. And so while he's there, the Philippian church is about eight to ten years old is all. Calvary Chapel Valley Springs, as we said this morning, is 23 years old. So you're looking at somewhat of a new, a new church, a new work. And he's there under uh, an emperor named Nero. And I'd like to uh, share some facts about Nero because they uh, are important to the scene upon which we find the Apostle Paul. The time of this writing would have been around 60 AD. So there under house arrest, it is uh, Nero who is the acting emperor. He was 17 year old when he came to power uh, in about 54 AD. His adopted father died. Nero was famous for a couple of things. Number one, we are told historically that he fiddled while Rome burned. 
During his rule, he murdered his mother. He murdered, uh, her name was Agrippina the Younger. He murdered his first wife, Octavia. He allegedly murdered his second wife, Sabina. And in 64 AD, just four years after Paul writes this letter, historically, Rome burns. And we have uh, an authentic eyewitness account that isn't biblical from a biblical source. It's an a extra-biblical source. This was written by uh, the historian uh, Tacitus in his book, Aeneas, published a few years after the event. And it says this, that there were rumors that... Um, Nero had started the fire in Rome because he wanted to redo the city. But as those rumors emerged, he wanted to deflect the guilt, so he placed the guilt on Christians. And we read from Tacitus' book, Therefore, to stop the rumor that he had set Rome on fire, Emperor Nero falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most fearful tortures, the persons commonly called Christians, who were generally hated for what they did. In their very deaths, they were made the subject of sport, for they were covered with hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs, nailed to crosses, and set on fire when the daylight went away burned to serve as the evening lights in Nero's garden. This is the individual that is overseeing things while the Apostle Paul is under house arrest. Those events took place four years later, yes, but this is the environment in which Paul is living. And so one of the things we want to be sure and and cover is uh, why the book was written, the occasion for the writing. And I want to turn us now from Acts to the book of Philippians. Let's go back there, chapter 1. The occasion of the writing of this book, uh, we read, and we'll see it again, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Paul had in his mind a reason why he wanted to communicate to the Philippian Christians. Uh, One of the things we can notice clearly here and becomes of great encouragement, I hope to you it does to me, is that knowing that this book was written about seven, eight to nine maybe even 10 years after the inception of the church. The church is, you know, 7 to 10 years old. Is notice in that second verse, uh, the first verse, that there is the establishment of bishops and deacons along with all the saints. So this church had matured in which it had appointed overseers, bishops, elders, and deacons in the 
the overall body of that uh, family of God. And I'm very thankful uh, that that is the case uh, in our family of churches as well, is the case here in Calvary Chapel Valley Springs. Maybe some of you don't know. If you do, we have our elders and deacons, their names printed on our bulletins, along with their phone numbers. Uh, Our board of directors, which complies with state law in order to be a 5013C, Our board of directors is comprised of men that are elders, Dave Sachs, Chris Stout, Gino Calaccia. Uh, Brian Johnson has come on board as another elder in our midst. Uh, Of course, Pastor Austin Novello is an assisting pastor. Craig Powers is uh, one of our deacons. So... Spreading that leadership out is important. It's healthy for a church. Uh, I'm called to teach the Bible. But, you know, I'll get in there and paint with you or work, but I'm, I'm not the construction guy. Uh, my calling and my desire surrounds itself with being able to equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. And that's why I love about our fellowship is that so many are so active in a regular basis. If you are not regularly active in this church and you watch in the home, you're going to be opening the doors and coming as soon as the doors, the governor's, you know, done, everything's open. I hope you'll come back. Um, that's where life and ministry really begins to get solid and found. Uh, form, forming itself is when we get in the midst with each other and begin working in various ways and serving the Lord. So I hope you will prayerfully consider that. But back to why the occasion of the letter. Two uh, reasons, of what I would call the twofold occasion for the letter. Number one was gratitude to those had, who had given to the apostle. And number two, to communicate his joy to those uh, while he was under house arrest that were concerned for him. Let's talk about both of those for a moment. Gratitude. Uh, Look with me at verse 14 of chapter 4. Turn over to chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 14. We read there, he says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Look at the last portion of verse 15. We can just read the verse. He says, Now you Philippians, who also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, notice this last sentence, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So Paul was indebted. Uh, A collection had been taken in the church at Philippi and was to be sent to Jerusalem for the leadership there in Jerusalem and to assist the, the church in Jerusalem that was in dire straits. And here Paul is seeking to write while he's in uh, house arrest. He's endeavoring to write 
a thank you to those Christians in Philippi for their generous heart in how they had helped support him slash support the church in Jerusalem. Look at verse 17. He says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. And so while we're on this subject of the the reason for the letter, the same thing is true here. Uh, Never in our position as leaders in the church, uh, board members or elders, are we ever trying to impose upon anyone that calls this place home that they need to give financially to this work. What's been amazing to us over this last year at COVID, where our attendance went down somewhat and is coming back, some attendance went to online, you you who are watching at home, Uh, the ability to continue to pay our bills and meet the requirements that we have didn't skip a beat. In fact, you know, we celebrated not too long ago, we paid off this building. So... Your faithfulness, and I encourage you to continue in that faithfulness, is not because we seek the gift, but there's a fruit. There's a fruit that comes into each Christian's life when they understand that what they have, God has given to them, and there are countless uh, references in Scripture that we are to give back that which belongs to him, starting with a tenth, a tithe of what we earn or what is ours. But that's just the beginning. There are free will offerings. There, you know, we call it um, tithes and offerings. Offering above that, which is just simply a tenth of what I earn. And so uh, that was one of the reasons Paul was writing this letter. He was to thank them for their faithfulness. Look at this. A church, seven, eight, nine years old, faithful and fruitful in their giving. Uh, Second reason for the letter was that Paul, under house arrest, was now ready to communicate to a young fellowship that he had learned in, in his years of serving the Lord, he had learned how to have joy and contentment in all circumstances. Turn back with me to chapter 1. And we're going to look at several verses that deal with Paul's joyful attitude. Chapter 1, verse uh, 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine making request for you with all joy. See the word? Uh, verse 18 of chapter 1. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Chapter 2, verse 2. If you look with me there, he says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love 
being of one accord, of one mind. He had this joy, and he wanted to encourage them to keep on fulfilling this joy that he has. Verse 29 of chapter 2, he writes... Receive him, speaking of Epaphrodites, who would bring this letter from Rome to Philippi. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. This emphasis on on the joy that Paul learns through serving the Lord and yet in this time of house arrest. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1, look right there. Finally, my brethren... Rejoice in the Lord, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Hey, what Paul is saying, he's saying, I may write over and over and over again to encourage you to have joy in the Lord, and that it's not a labor for me to do so, but for you, uh, O Christian in the town of Philippi, it's safe for me to write this to you. We come now to what I would consider the theme uh, of the book, found back uh, one more time, turn with me, chapter 1, verse 21. Let's read it out loud together. He says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He speaks early that this joy he has is a choice. It's a choice to remain joyful in each circumstance. It's a choice that God gives us uh, as his children a free will. You are here this morning because you chose to come to church. When we were made in the image of God, we were given a free will so that the individual that chooses to enter into a relationship with God makes that choice of their own volition. And as you and I enter into that relationship with God, we are in relationship with him by choice. You've heard me say it. I'll say it again. How meaningful would it be to you as a parent if your child was programmed to come to you each morning and tell you in a robotic way, I love you. But those actions all through the day didn't echo that robotic sentiment. How meaningful would it be to you as a, as a parent or as a, a relative or someone that you love and care for that's not even a family member, if they came to you and just they parroted the same word, I love you, I love you, and, and there was no volition, no meaning behind it. Our God desires each one of his children that if you're going to enter a relationship with him, that that relationship comes from you having a free will And that you choose to do so. And the same way, joy in all circumstance is a choice. It's 
been explained this way once before, is that joy, biblical joy is so different than happiness. Happiness is a condition of the human heart based on circumstances. Joy is a condition of the human soul rooted and based in a relationship with the Lord. And our joy doesn't have to change regardless of what our circumstances are. Now to let you know that, you know, I, I'm not absent or uh, exempt would be the word I'm looking for. Exempt from having these things that I share tested in my own life. Much of what our family has gone through in the last three, four, five weeks has tested our ability to remain joyful in the Lord, though the circumstances have been very hard. What is going on in your world today that seeks to take your joy, rob you of your peace, rock your sights off of staying focused on Christ? And then therefore you notice you're, you're embittered, you're short with others, uh, the, the laughter kind of fades away. The book of Philippians is a reminder as we go through it that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we look to him continually, he will replenish, re restore, and continue to give us that joy. Because for me to live, what? Is Christ. In other words, here are some of the things we're going to find in the book. I think it's the last outline. That it must be the Lord that opens hearts. Whether it's a prodigal in your life, a neighbor, a loved one, yes, let's pray fervently for God to open their heart, but it must be the Lord that opens that heart. And we would we would be remiss if we didn't say, oh, and in my own life, have I put up walls or you know, roadblocks to where, Lord, you can have this part of me, but not this part of me. Lord, you can have this much of me, but not all of me. And this morning, he would be reminding us that as we begin the study of the book of Philippians, he's going to be asking, prompting, appealing, wooing, Anyone that is walking at a distance, say, come near unto me. All you that labor and have related, I will give you rest. Another thing in this book is that we can have joy in each circumstance. The joy of the Lord. And that it is Christ living in us. It's who we have now. And, and when we leave this planet, the day he called us home, it's gain, not a loss. For me to live now is Christ. To die, just nothing but a gain. And I hope that Introducing the book this way, reminding us of these things, encourages each one of you here, those of you who are watching at home, that this is how we're to live. This is to be a regular approach to daily life 
in the Lord. Closing again with the verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, willing slaves to all the saints in Christ Jesus. You could stop it right there. Because this book is written to all the saints. In the moment, Paul says, who are in Philippi. But you and I both know that the eternality and um, presence of the Word of God is for all time. So he says, I'm writing to all the saints, everyone who names the name of Christ. We'll close it with verse 2. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book that has so much to teach us, to teach me, to teach every one of us that will uh, go through it together. And we look forward, Lord, in the weeks, the months ahead as we endeavor to look into the pages of this book to see its truths but more importantly, as we see them, Lord, to apply them to our lives. And what we've learned first this morning, Lord, is that a man was willing to alter his plans, to change his course, because the Lord had made it clear. Perhaps there's someone here this morning, Lord, that hears that as your clarion call to them. That's you, you can just receive it from the Lord. Lord, we learned also that the joy, the joy of the Lord. Maybe there's someone here, Lord, that is your child and is struggling with finding that joy. We pray right now by the Spirit you would replenish it. And for us to live being Christ, Lord, uh, we pray this morning that if any part of that is foreign, if any part of that doesn't apply, by the power of your Spirit, you right now would cause it to apply in each and every one of our lives. For we love you this morning, Lord. And we say it of our own, our own volition, our own will. So, Lord, have your way as we close wanting to bless you with this, this praise from our lips. We ask you to have your way, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.